0: Lonely song, the song's for you. You remember that film Airplane? June Cleaver, Bieber Cleaver's mother was on the plane. And uh, there were a couple of black guys there, and they were talking to each other, and they had to have this script underneath, because they were talking jive to each other. And they had to have this subtitles underneath so that white folks could understand what they were saying. And... Somebody wanted to tell him something, but they didn't understand, or I don't know how it went, but June cleaver the or the person who played June Cleaver, she goes up and she starts talking jive to him, and it was like, "No way <laughs> to hear that coming out of her mouth. jive talking and a lot of people have a different idea about what that is, what that means. It's not specific to the black culture and jazz. jive is a noun, it's a thing, especially talk that is deceptive or worthless. A single image says more than any amount of blather and jive, is the example that the dictionary gives. That's the noun. There's a verb, jiving, and it's to talk nonsense. He wasn't jiving about that bartender. The origin of the word is 1920s, originally in the U.S., denoting meaningless or misleading speech. The word jive doesn't have nearly enough teeth to chew this esoteric idea properly. But it may have enough to take a bite out of your imagination, your apathy, and your arrogance. And that's really all I'm interested in doing. Yes, that's right. I'm interested in taking a bite out of your apathy, arrogance, and imagination. And it's nothing personal. It's just that as I look at the world, and as I look at us, and as I look at myself, I think there's far too much imagination, far too much arrogance. And when we see the arrogance and the imagination, we get depressed, and then we get apathetic. So it seems like these things follow each other. And in my opinion, it needs to be addressed. Of course, you know we're going to talk about the emotional center. Because that's really all we ever talk about, the most important center for us in our current condition, if we wish to develop. If you don't care about development, if you're like everybody else in the world, you just want to have a good life and get what you want and have a good job and a good house and a good car and good this and a good that and have nice dinners and nice clothes and have people like you and all the things that people in the world want, that we want, really, all the things that we want. We're no different than anyone else. I want those things. I don't want to live in a tent or push around a shopping cart and live under an overpass. I want to live a comfortable life, just like everyone else. The difference is, I think, that we realize that that's not primary. We come to the realization that that's not the most important thing in life, that that in and of itself is not going to give you real happiness, real peace. And I think when people come to that realization that it dawns on them that maybe there is another line of development that they could take. Hopefully, we've made it that far. You know, not everyone does want to develop. In fact, the majority of people just don't care. They're just not interested at all. Like, yeah, so what? Who cares? What'll that get me? Some imagine they wish to develop until they're faced with what it takes, what it means, what it's going to cost In this work, I have met a lot of those people, the people who want to develop until they find out what it's going to take, what it's going to cost them, how difficult it is until they find out how much effort is involved and not just how much effort. If it was one Herculean effort, fine, but that it takes effort after effort after effort. It's like breathing. You can't just do it once for all time. You have to keep on breathing every day, every moment of every day. Okay, you can take a little break. You know, you can hold your breath for maybe a minute or two, but then you've got to catch up. You've got to get all that oxygen. You starved your blood and your body. You've got to get that back in there so you end up hyperventilating. So you end up catching up anyway. The fact is is that it takes a constant effort just like breathing, and that's why the first conscious shock is like breathing. It's something that we have to do continually. And if we don't do it continually, then we start to starve ourselves. We start to starve our emotional, our soul bodies. We start to starve them of the nourishment that they need, the food that they need. The physical body gets its first shock from breathing. It's your breath that does it. That's automatic. But the first conscious shock is something you have to give yourself. And so that's where the development starts, and that's where the development ends with most people. I have to do it myself? Well, forget that. Unless it's going to be natural, like breathing, it's just going to have to happen in my sleep, then I'm not going to do it, because they don't see any reason to do it, especially in the face of how much it takes to continually give yourself the first conscious shock. So a good example of this, as I said, not everybody wants to develop when they find out what it's going to cost. Some fields haven't had the rocks cleared from them. Now, anybody who knows anything about farming knows you don't grow things in rocks. You just don't. And the reason is because there has to be soil for the plants to take root in. And if the plants don't have a place to take root, then they don't grow. And even weeds don't do well in rocks. Oh, they hang in there, but they don't really do well. So as an example, in Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 23, I'll read to you. And Jesus spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, because they had no depths of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Well, obviously, nobody had ears, at least not the kind that could hear. The disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted, for whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. The parable of the sower then he explains it to them. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. This is really what we're talking about. We're talking about We rejoice. We hear this, like, yeah, that's great. And then we find out what it's going to cost us, what it's going to take. Second force arises. The opposition to it comes up. And it's like, you know, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. We fall away. Well, of course we know about the people who, they're interested only in what they can get for themselves. And those are the people who basically had the seed sown among the weeds because the cares of the world choke out the word you get so interested in what you want from the world that it just finally chokes out any life or desire for development or so the purpose for all this talk to the Intellectual Center, and that's all this is. That's all we've been doing. This is podcast number 300. That's just the fat podcast. There's also 300 light podcasts. And then there are about 100 of the new man and the house on the rock. So we're talking 700 podcasts. Now that's a lot of talking. And all that talk is to the Intellectual Center. And the purpose of it is to get through to the emotional center where the real work is done where the real problem lies. And how much of that do you think makes it through? Well, according to this parable of the sower, not much. Three-fourths of it, right off the bat, if you take the four examples, some falls on the road, some falls in the rocks, some falls among the weeds and the thorns, and some falls on good soil. So, 25%. Now, that's just if you took it that way, but you know it's not that much. You know that 25% doesn't land on good soil. You know that one quarter of the people who hear this, it doesn't land any place in them that can do them any good. You know that in yourself, there's not 25% good soil, that mostly what's in you is rocky soil or thorns and weeds or just a road, you know, where no seed can take root at all, where it's instantly snatched up and taken away. So you realize that it's not talking about percentages in that way. And even if it were, 25% is not that great. But when you look at it, it's not even 2.5%. It may be 0.25%, maybe, but that's the truth of it. And of course, most people don't see the truth of it. And the reason they don't see the truth of it is because they have an intellectual center that is full of this stuff, but nothing ever gets to the emotional center, or very little ever gets to the emotional center. The mantra of esoteric teachings, the mantra of 700 podcasts is all emotions arising from the negative part of the emotional center are hungry to enlarge themselves and the emotional center demands food to continue being negative. This is our condition on this planet. We ignore it, we lie about it, we deny it, we call it something else, we paint it a different color, we dress it up, we point it out in other people and ignore it in ourselves, but we do not address it in ourselves. Everyone has negative emotions. I don't care who you are. Everyone has negative emotions. If you've got them about everyone and everything or someone and something, doesn't matter in the least I don't care if you're negative all the time, if you're the most negative person who has ever lived, or if you're just mildly negative once in a while. It's the same thing esoterically. It's the same poison to your development. Whether you have an atomic bomb dropped on you, or you step on a landmine, the effect is the same. It doesn't matter whether you're negative all the time and it's overkill, or you're just negative once in a while, and it poisons you slowly. Everyone has negative emotions. If you don't check them consciously, they will feed like a tick on a dog until you are a stench in everyone's nostrils except your own. You're the only person who will be able to stand you. I know, that's pretty grim. The truth is is that for most of us, we're the only people who can stand us. Now, the joy of being in the world and knowing nothing about this work, the joy of sleep is imagining that people like you, that People like you, imagining that they think you're wonderful, imagining that they think you're as wonderful as you think you are. And that's the joy of sleep, and no wonder people want to sleep. Can you blame them? To wake up out of that into this is a very unpleasant reality. Not something that I think most people would like to do. As with everything else in life, the emotional center grows upon what it feeds. Allow it to feed on negative things regardless of their merit, and it will grow and grow. Now, what merit can there be in negative things? Well, let's look at it. Let's look at some things that we can be negative about. We could be negative about what we are doing to the planet. We could be negative about wars. We could be negative about deception in public office. We could be negative about misbehavior in public office. We could be negative about a lot of righteous things, about people killing other people about people stealing from other people. We could be negative about all those things righteously. In other words, we'd be right. Those things actually are happening. The problem is you being negative about it. Not that those things are happening. Yes, that's true. Those things are happening. And that's a shame. But that's the way this world is. And everything happens the only way it can happen. But for you to become negative over it, that is the real tragedy. And that is the place where you have something that you can do about it. You're not going to fix the world. But you may be able to fix how you take the world if you work at it and if you work at it properly. If you can reach a point of genuine self-observation, you may be able to see you are taking some person, some event, negatively. This is a crucial point. It's not a point that everybody comes to, but it is a crucial point until you reach this stage of self-observation. Nothing can be done by you or for you until you reach the stage where you begin to genuinely see that you are taking some person or some event negatively. And when I say genuinely see it, genuinely see it for what it was, what it is, not just saying, oh, yes, I'm negative, and accepting it as, oh, yeah, well, that's just the way that is. And we enjoy it. When you sincerely see it, you must try to consciously control how you are taking the person or event, or it will go straight to the negative part of the emotional center. Now... What we do instead of sincerely seeing it and consciously trying to take control of how we're taking the person or the event is we consciously try and control the person or the event. We don't consciously try and control how we're taking the person or the event. We go on this campaign to try and control the person or the event. This is deadly, useless, pointless. It doesn't work when it comes to development, but it does work when it comes to poisoning your own emotional center and dragging you down. This is the first conscious shock, seeing how you are taking impressions. And it can be a shock. When you realize that you're the one who is taking that person that way, That someone else takes that person entirely differently. It's interesting to me. You'll find someone who people admire, love, and admire, and you'll find someone else who, the same person, they hate and despise. Rather than look at themselves and see, well, is there something in me that causes me to take this person negatively? Is there something I need to address? they will go to the ends of the earth to try and convince the people who love and admire that person that they're wrong, that they need to see things the way I see things, negatively. And they'll go on a campaign to make that a reality, or to try and make that a reality, if it's possible. And unfortunately, because negative emotions are so noxious, it's like a wildfire, many times it will work. Many times you can take a room full of positive people and turn them negative with just one negative person, sadly. A mechanical, unconscious person can't help himself. There's nothing between him and the impressions flooding in from life, whether they be in the form of a person or in the form of events. This is something we forget when we look at negative people, mechanical people. When we look at ourselves, when we're negative and mechanical, we forget that there's no way that the person can help himself. And there's no way that you can help yourself unless you have done a little work ahead of time. If you've done a little work ahead of time, then an alarm will go off, a red flag will go up. And you have the opportunity to take a conscious stand against your mechanical negative behavior. But unless you've done that, there's nothing for you. There's nothing you can do about it, nothing they can do about it. A person who stays negative, regardless of the reason. The thing is, is that we think, oh, but I've got a good reason. This person really did these evil things to me. Well, okay. But if you stay negative over it, you're killing yourself. It's you who are suffering. But, but, but. But they're suffering too. Well, not necessarily. But you are for sure. You are for sure poisoning yourself. Whether or not you're hurting them at all, that's up in the air. But for sure, you're hurting yourself. So anyway, a person who stays negative, whether it's a good reason or a lousy reason, grows more and more ill by the day and craves the very thing that makes them ill. They want more negative emotions. They pile it on. It's not enough to say, well, you're ugly and your mother dresses you funny. Now, you also have to say, well, you're ugly and your mother dresses you're funny, and you walk funny, and you're stupid, and your dog ate my homework, and your shoes are ugly, and blah, 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 blah. It just goes on and on and on. It constantly feeds, but it's feeding on you. And it's like I said, it's like a fat tick on a dog that just keeps on sucking your blood and engorging itself and getting uglier and uglier. And not only that, but now we know that ticks carry all kinds of diseases with them. So not only are they sucking your blood, they're also leaving disease in its place weakening you and leaving disease in its place. And this is exactly what negative emotions do. Only when you begin to notice how you take things without agreement from the world or self-justification. You see, the world will agree with you. If you take things negatively, the world is happy to agree with you. Yeah, that's right. Or you can justify yourself. Well, this is right because he did this or she did that or it's this way or it's that way, and and I'm right to be negative. Anyone, anyone would feel the same way. Anyone in their right mind would be negative about this. And so you've justified yourself, and now you're stuck with it. It's only when you begin to notice how you take things. Strip away the agreement from other people. Strip away your own self-justification and see how you take things. Only then is there any possibility of your being changing in a real way. Few people have this space in themselves that esoteric truth seeks to make. It's all cluttered with intellectual knowledge, with self-justification, with self-satisfaction, and all of the other self-emotions that poison us. The majority of people are inundated by everything that happens to them so that the negative part of the emotional center grows fatter and fatter until they're in a very bad state. The thing about being in a very bad state is like, you look around at other people in a bad state, You go, well, this isn't so bad. When you're in the hospital, you look at the guy in the bed next to you who's going to die tonight, and you really feel pretty good. Connie was telling me the story about this guy. What was it? He had some. uh, It made some special offer, forty bucks, and you can have this screening, you know, CAT scans and all this stuff. So he goes and they (laughs) he goes and he has all the tests, and they wouldn't even let him leave. They say, okay, well, right now what we'd like to do is have you get in that ambulance over there, and they rushed him to the emergency room. They rushed him to the hospital. He was so plugged up. His carotid arteries, his heart, he was so plugged up. They were afraid to operate on his heart. They didn't know whether to operate on his carotid arteries or his heart first, because if they did one, the other might kill him. So they were kind of stuck. So they cracked him open and did a six-way bypass. I didn't even know there was such a thing. And then rotor rooted his carotid arteries. This guy was so jammed up. And he said, well, I feel fine. What I'm saying is, you can be near death. I remember when I kept an aquarium. It was a terrible thing, keeping an aquarium, taking fish out of their natural habitat and putting them in a glass container so that they can die before you, which is essentially what they do. No matter how long they live, eventually they weaken, they get sick, their lives are not the same because they're taken out of their natural environment. Anyway, a fish would always look great just before it died. Its colors would perk up, everything. It would be all perky and act great. And then the next thing, you know, it would be dead. Like they didn't go downhill. They had this pizzazz, this flash of life before they died that's sort of how we are we feel really great and then we die not everyone of course but it's like birds mask their illness so if a bird is sick they don't act sick they act like they're just fine because if they act sick then a predator comes and gets them so they act like they're just fine we're like that we act like we're just fine when actually we're very very sick emotionally such a person who is inundated by everything that happens to them so that the negative part of their emotional center is growing fatter and fatter, such a person has completely failed to develop himself and will leave these ideas. You have seen people do this. You have seen people, instead of take these ideas into themselves and allow them to change them, you've seen them take these ideas into themselves And it causes a reaction in them and makes them reject the ideas and reject anything to do with them. And then they leave. They will not bear being able to feel even a little responsible for their inner state. It can't be my fault. It just cannot be my fault. It must be him or her. It must be these ideas. It must be this. It must be this teacher. It must be this teaching. It must be this group. It must be something outside myself. It cannot possibly be me. They just can't bear it. How can one realize one is a self-developing organism, that this possible development depends not on what others do or do not, but on how one behaves emotionally and spiritually towards life? How can anyone understand I'm a self-developing organism if they don't understand that all their possible development depends not on what other people are doing, not on what life is doing, but on what they're doing, how they're behaving emotionally and spiritually towards life? It's impossible. You cannot be a self-developing organism and blame what happens to you and how you feel about it and how you respond to it on other people or life. Those two things cannot go together. They never will. They never have. We can take an event mechanically or consciously. This is a simple choice. You can take an event or person mechanically or consciously, but it's no easy matter to take it more consciously. If it was, everybody would make that choice. Well, maybe not everybody, but a majority of people or a lot of people would make that choice. But the negative part of the emotional center is incredibly powerful. Only a fool thinks that he can easily overcome the tendency to be negative. And admittedly, we were very foolish when we started. We thought we could easily overcome (laughs) negative emotions. The false personality's trick of wearing an attitude of resignation towards everything doesn't work, as it is insincere. And because it's insincere, that makes it false. No development comes through what is false. Development only comes through the truth. It does not come from what is false. So pretending that, oh, it doesn't bother me. Pretending doesn't change a thing. There's a genuine inner practice, though, that takes inner work and effort to become passive to what pushes your buttons. And that genuine inner practice will make you grow, will make you develop in the right direction. It takes a long time to understand this, but it is the path of wisdom. To learn how to be passive to a person or event. Not how to be resigned. Not how to pretend an attitude of resignation. Not how to be apathetic. This is not the same thing. This is an active inner work that you do. Remaining passive to someone or some event that just pushes your buttons. That winds you up. That gets you all cranked. The purification of the emotional center is the work that is set before us by all esoteric teachings. For thousands of years. Purified from what? From negative emotions in their many and varied forms. And negative emotions all breed in the soup of self-emotions. Once the emotional center is purified from negative emotions, we can begin to get help to receive new influences that help us to understand what we didn't understand before. There are things that you think you understand now that you don't understand. Not really. And once these self-emotions, these negative emotions begin to be flushed out of us, once we begin to remove the stones from the field, something can take root and grow. Something can bear fruit. But we've got to get the stones out of the field first. And that takes work. And that's why people don't do it. They just go buy another piece of land where somebody else worked it. Except that with yourself, because this is self-development, you can't do that. There's no amount of money that's going to buy you a better being. You've got to earn it. You've got to build it. You've got to make it. You've got to remove the stones. And then you've got to plant good seed. And then you've got to cultivate it and protect it to make sure that it bears fruit. The purification process is just that. It's a process. Once we begin, or we have begun, sincerely, we start to get help from higher centers, from conscious beings who are always awake, always talking to us. And it's the only talking that we ever hear that's not jive talking. But what we do is jive talking. It's deceptive. What was the definition? Deceptive or worthless? I ask you this. If you genuinely look at your conversations in a day, how much of it is worth the breath, the energy, and the time that went into it. It's absurd. We would do well to cut out 90% of our talking. 95%. But hey, 50%, just take take 50%, cut out 50% of your mindless jive talking, and you will start to take a bite out of negative emotions. Well, the enjoyment of negative emotions and nourishing them by inner talking is the exact opposite of what we must do to make our awakening possible. You see, the aim of all esoteric teachings, all esoteric schools is one thing and one thing only, to wake up, to awaken, to awaken to ourselves, to what we are like, to awaken to our possibilities, to awaken from this stupor, from this sleep that keeps us doing the same things repeatedly, that keeps us having the same problems with the same people or other people over and over and over again, to awaken from that. That's the aim. You can wish to awaken as hard as you want, and it will be useless until you do the hard work of purifying the emotional center from negative emotions. Don't be deceived. You may feel better when you're being negative. It gives you a sense of power when you're being negative. It gives you a sense of control when you're being negative. But it's not real. You'll have to feed it, and you'll have to continue feeding it to keep feeling better, to keep feeling in control, to keep feeling powerful. And even then, it will start to undermine you. Negative emotions are an addictive drug that is destroying you all the time that you're feeling better. When these ideas take root in you, they will spoil your enjoyment of negative emotions. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that you just don't enjoy them as much anymore? Now you feel a little unhappy when you're negative. Whereas if you felt unhappy before, you could just be negative and then you felt happy. (laughs) But now it's just the opposite. Now you start to enjoy negative emotions and you feel really unhappy about it. It's like, ew, that's disgusting. And you don't want to. You start to see the sickness of it. That's why it said, know the truth and the truth will make you free. This is the truth. This is the truth. And the only way it's going to ever make you free is if you know it. Not if you just accept it intellectually, but if you know it. If you apply it to your own being in the worst possible situations in your life. Not in the easy places, but in the worst possible situations, in the places where you're really plugged in, where you're really upset by an event or by a person. That is the place. That is the gift. If you can apply it there, you can grow. If you can't apply it there, I don't see how you can possibly grow. You matter but part of a cosmic